Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Good Grow Great Podcast. I'm Talia Toha and this is the Growth Amplifiers segment. This is the segment where we deconstruct high-level concepts. We deconstruct topics that are relevant to how we can work and live beautifully and in a fulfilling way. And occasionally we deconstruct case studies and uh, stories of how people go through epic failures sometimes or even just surprising ways that they were able to achieve success in a level that is actually, uh, you know, really surprising, but also in a level where we were, we would go, huh, it's unusual that they'd still be able to do what they love and uh, live it in a meaningful way. So today we are going to be talking about none other than JK Rowling, which is amazing, of course. As a lot of you guys know, Joe wrote and is still writing, if I am correct, is still writing uh, the Harry Potter series and other series related to that series. And so what's interesting about Joe's case, of course, is that she started out as a divorcing parent and then she went on to 400 million copies sold and a 25 billion dollar franchise and all of these amazing things she has a business now and she has uh, a series that are related to the harry potter series of course and so it's really fascinating to see her case study and to study it and as a reader myself i think this is a fascinating subject particularly for entrepreneurs who are looking to overcome imposter syndrome right looking to overcome the fear of rejection looking to overcome doubt and self-doubt i think these this is a really interesting case study and even if you are not a harry potter fan and we can always learn from different sources, right? All of these so that you can then just adopt and adapt it in a meaningful way in the work and the life that you're looking to live. That's really the key to being an A-plus student and being a master of your craft, whatever your craft is, whether that's in the creative space, the business space, right? Today, I particularly want to highlight And this is not to say that Joe herself necessarily experienced this, but you do see hints of these in some of the stories that she shared. And so today I want to share with you some key takeaways, namely how we can all overcome imposter syndrome, right? And the fear of rejection and self-doubt. Before we begin, be sure to hit that follow, add, collect, subscribe. Let's dive in, guys. So I am really, really passionate about this topic because a lot of people come to me every year and saying, Talia, what if this doesn't work, right? Whatever this is, they always ask that opening question. What if what I put out there is not good enough? It's always a question that a lot of people, all of us go through every single year, maybe even every single day, right? Whenever we do something, we're like, oh, I don't know if this is good enough. I don't know if this is an email that we should send. I don't know if this is a program that's good enough for other people. I don't know if you're right and on and on. And so this form of, I guess, questioning, right? Critical self-questioning, it's taken on a a different, I think, terminology over the course of the years. I'm first introduced to it, I think, years and years and years ago. And at that time, it was called self-doubt, 
right? And then years later, I hear it in the form of, you know, fear of rejection. That's another terminology. And now, though, a lot of people would like to call it imposter syndrome. It's really the case, obviously, if you've heard this, you are familiar with this. It's really the case where you feel like you are being an imposter, whether or not you actually are an expert to speak on specific topics or or not, a lot of times these feelings that you are becoming or you're behaving as if you're an imposter's uh, an imposter often surface um, in the in the presence of you know when you want to walk up to speak in front of other people when you're presenting something right a lot of times in work spaces this happens so what causes imposter syndrome I do want to say I'm obviously not a psychologist I am not a clinical psychologist so if you are looking for a more medical answers, feel free to do your research, you know, ask um, licensed experts on those specific topics. But as an observation and student of life, I, this is what I derive about imposter syndrome, which is so interesting. I think imposter syndrome, particularly when I'm looking at my own experience with it, when I've experienced it, um, is usually self-inflicted, right? It's usually when I'm like, so wrapped up on a particular type of result, right? And I'm so invested and I'm so married almost to a particular type of kind of outcome when I really, really want to do well that that imposter syndrome kicks in, right? I remember this happens a lot when I'm speaking in public and um, it still still happens now every now and then, but a little less. But when I started kind of speaking, um, not just in public, but to other people, even just presenting, as a lot of you guys know, I'm a huge introvert. I'm actually very, very introverted. And so whenever I have to speak, present some work or project in, in the workspace, I think particularly, and I feel like other people are much more qualified than me to speak about things, this thing kicks in, right? And in my head, I'm always going, oh my goodness, you know, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be, if they're going to like it. I don't know if they're just going to you know, kick me to the curb. I don't know if I'm ever going to have a chance to share this. If I do this now, should I wait until I have X, Y, Z lined up and things are a little bit better? This is right. And it's so on and on and on. And a lot of the conversation internally that I'm going through um, is usually about the question of whether it's good enough, whether I'm good enough, and whether they are going to accept all of this as good enough. So I think it's, it's, it's a multi-part question. It's not just about me. It's about the work that I'm representing. And it's about the reaction that the other group or a person on the other side that's seeing this um, would think, right? So I think it's really, really interesting how a lot of people approach imposter syndrome only from the the point of view of self-actualization or from the point of view of controlling your environment, right? Self-actualization, of course, people are going, oh, okay, just change your mindset. Well, it doesn't always work just with your mindset. Of course, it's involved, of course. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. And then some other people approach it from, well, just control your environment, you know, like control what you can control, get prepared, right? Make sure that you're well-rested, right? So there's a lot of kind of physical stuff that people talk about when they deal with imposter syndrome. That's number two. And then number three, 
they talk about basically uh, projecting a certain type of kind of visual about the people that you're presenting to. So it's almost like these people who maybe are your boss or maybe are future clients that you want to work with or your audience maybe even, a lot of times people feel the need to then go, okay, it's not to then think of things in a point of view where, oh, it's not important. You know, these people are just people, right? So all of those. So we're going to touch on the pros and cons of all of these approaches that you see and hear everywhere. And I'm going to share with you what I like about them, what I don't like about them, and how it relates to JK Rowling. And so I think this is actually a good point to share with you and to give you a quick reminder of Joe's story in that Joe actually, before all of this Harry Potter madness, before all of her success, she was a divorced single parent and she was down in her luck and she didn't have much, right? And she says this herself and she didn't have much and she didn't really know exactly how to go about um, advancing and advocating her story, but she went on anyway, right? As you may have heard, she wrote this on a train. She uh, she wrote the series on a train, and she just kept on writing and and following her internal need, right, and her internal almost kind of that that reaction to okay, you know what? I need to write this. I need to put this out there, which is kind of unusual. I think a lot of us suppress that in some ways because life is so busy. Our phone has 20 plus apps opening, uh, opened at any given time. And a lot of times when this happens, we go, oh, I'll just do that some other time, right? Or let me just get dinner and, uh, and then watch this other thing or read this other thing or work on this other thing. And then maybe I'll do that on the weekend, right? But not Joe, because she just said, you know what, I, this is something interesting. And if it weren't for other people, I would at least need to do this for me is essentially the approach that she took. Now, fast forward, of course, to the time when she needs to put this work in front of other people. I think it's so interesting that she got multiple rejection letters. Now, if you haven't seen some of the rejection letters that Joe received, it's pretty interesting. You guys, it's so interesting because it's, I think this speaks to how it almost doesn't matter whether you doubt yourself, whether somebody thinks that it's no good, or whether somebody does think it's good. Because the reality is at any level in your work and in your life, at any level of self-doubt or lack thereof, you're always going to have people who either believe in you or don't believe in you. And here's why. So earlier on in, in Joe's journey, she got multiple rejection letters and dozens actually. And she even shared some of them online for inspiration. And she went through dozens of rejection letters from different publishers before she finally get one who, okay, you know what, who believed in her and said, this might be something here. And what's interesting though after all of the Harry Potter success, after it's become a worldwide phenomenon, it, it 
then turned into this beautiful motion picture movies, right? All of this, the whole world, wizarding world, the whole thing became a reality when she then wanted to publish another book related to Harry Potter, right? Um, and I believe that book's title is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Uh, and there were still some tension and there was still some pushback, believe it or not. At that point, she was already a household name. At that point, her work was already a household name. And yet she still receives this, right? So it goes to show you that whether you're going through imposter syndrome because it is a self-inflicted thought or because other people externally uh, push back and say, no, this is not good enough, it almost doesn't matter. And these things have presence throughout our lives. So I'm sorry to say, I know a lot of people say, oh, you have to get rid of imposter syndrome. I personally do not believe that you have to get rid of it. Uh, because here's why. Because I think imposter syndrome is there so that we take care of the quality of the work that we share so that we take care of the people who's going to be in the receiving end of that work. I think it's there almost like a kind of, it's not a self-defense mechanism, but it's almost like a self-check mechanism, right? It's kind of like a good, good sense that everyone who is purpose-driven, everyone who wants to create something meaningful in this world uh, has to have, because without it, you know, devoid of it, you're going to end up just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is good enough. Oh, I'm just going to like toss this out in the world without any kind of sense of, okay, you know what? Let's tweak it this way. Let's think about it from this other way. Let's improve it this way, right? So I think imposter syndrome, we're doing it a disservice and we're doing ourselves a disservice when we call it imposter syndrome. Rather, we can look at it more from the perspective of, maybe just even uh, something as simple as a self-check mechanism, something to just kind of, uh, you know, send a signal to our brain that go, you know what, um, you know, this can be switched this way, but let's, let's switch that or let's revise that after this round or after this presentation or after this talk, after this program, whatever it is. Um, and that's, um, that's a good way to improve. Right. So it's almost like a self-improvement mechanism. Right. So I don't want to call it imposter syndrome. I think we're all doing ourselves a disservice when we call it imposter syndrome. Um, so that's number one is I don't think that you need to get rid of it. I think we just need to figure out how to reframe it and figure out how to actually launch something from it and use it almost like a positive launching pad so that you can then propel yourself forward. Similar to JK, she posted, she posted Robert Galbraith's rejection letters on her uh, wall not so that she's vengeful, not so that she forms negative thoughts in her mind and doubt herself as she continue to write, but rather so that it is a source of inspiration, something to kind of ground her, something to, something to remind her there is always room for uh, not just the best, but for the best to continue to improve. Isn't that beautiful, you guys? Isn't that just a much better way to think about imposter syndrome? So that's, I think, number one is don't get rid of it, but and don't get don't ignore it, but rather 
think of how to then, you know, create a way to make it a launch pad. I think that's my takeaway from studying uh, JK's rise to success, how she then earned $95 million a year, right? And how she then say, okay, you know what? This rejection doesn't mean that I'm not good enough. It doesn't mean that this work isn't good enough. It just means those people don't quite believe in it just yet. And it just means that there is room for improvement. Isn't that much more beautiful? So if we can each do that every day when we wake up and we are faced with, oh my goodness, I got to you know, pass this on. I got to, you know, finish this deadline. I got to send this program out and on and on and on. What's more beautiful is knowing that all of these things, these obstacles, right, even self-inflicted obstacles, we can do this, you guys, and we absolutely can rise beyond our work so that we don't get owned by our work, but rather we take ownership of our work. A lot of you guys who have listened to me and my podcast throughout the years, this is, you know, that this is a, uh, a belief that I have. This is a philosophy that I have. And so I would love to continue to encourage you from this and also from Joe's story, which I think is absolutely beautiful. So what about it then? What about it, Talia? What can I do now so that I can uh, you know, today I have something that I'm doubtful of, not sure if it's good enough. I'm feeling this uh, imposter syndrome starting to kick in. Kick in. How can we, um, how can I overcome it? Okay, so there are a few action steps that I want to share with you today that you can take, you can deconstruct, you can rebuild, right? You can adapt and adopt. I always want to encourage you to adapt and adopt because it is all, it is for you, right? If something uh, kind of works for you and then you're like, oh, you know what? It'd be better if for me, if I do it this way, because my schedule is this other way. Absolutely. Absolutely. These are guidelines that I want to share. These are things that I've discovered personally. These are things that I've researched and spent dozens of hours on. And this is for you. And I want to give this to you. Okay. Uh, I think I wanted to actually share with you, uh, before I share with you the action steps, Joe's quote um, of what she says to herself, or what she said to herself, rather, when she continued to get those rejection letters, right? She said, I won't stop. And she said, not until all of them had said no, which is so interesting. And she then talked about the value of actually having nothing to lose, Right. And so I actually wanted to encourage you guys to find ways to get to a point where you have nothing to lose. No, I'm not saying, you know, quit your job. I'm not saying, you know, just leave your family. I'm not saying any of that at all, you guys. Okay. What I'm saying is that if you come to a point where it is better to put this forward and get a no rather than not doing it at all that's, that's, you have a win right there. Think about it, right? Time is going to pass anyway. So whether you're, you have a zero kind of production and you don't really put anything out there or not, time doesn't matter. It doesn't have any bearing and it won't, um, it won't matter. So why not just put it, put it out there? That way, you know, right? What works that way, you know, um, where you are, that way you can recalibrate. So I think if you get to a point where it's 
way, it's worth way, way more to put something out there and maybe even get a no than it is to not do, to do nothing at all. I would rather say to do nothing at all then you are at a good place. And so imposter syndrome would not matter anymore. Now, specific to Joe's case, I do want to share with you some of the things that I've, uh, I've observed are kind of like her grounding and her anchoring rules. And I think this is so beautiful. So uh, there are five things that I noticed. There's a lot, but I want to point out five specific things that Joe did that actually continue to propel her um, advancement, right? When she's growing the Harry Potter series. So the first thing that I noticed that she did was she noticed that when she couldn't stop thinking about doing something creative, and in this case, the Harry Potter series, she didn't ignore it. So number one is don't ignore it. And what does it mean? It just means your inclination to do something, you know, that little voice in your head that says, there might be something here. There might be something here. I don't quite know what exactly this is or what form it would take or whether it's good enough, but there's something here and I can't stop thinking about it. It keeps coming back, right? I remember this happened to me when I was transitioning from corporate nine to five over to starting my business. I could continue to go on with my nine to five and I could continue to, um, you know, do whatever it is that I was doing and I would still be fine. My life still would be fine. But there is almost like an alternate universe that's existing where I could also do fine or maybe even thrive, right? Or maybe fail epically, but still find that amazing, amazing discovery and fulfillment in the process. So for me, you know, that was something that, when I didn't ignore that voice, when I almost leaned into that fear and just went, huh, there's something here, uh, don't ignore it, you know, and maybe the time and the situation you're in doesn't allow you to pursue it just yet, whether whatever it is, right, whether you want to start a side income hustle, or you want to start a podcast, you want to start um, this other thing, another a stream of income, it's, it's all there. Um, you know, so that you realize that, you know, life is so rich, right? So why not try to do things where you get all the more enriched and other people around you, because of what you do, get all the more enriched. So, uh, you know, don't ignore it is number one. You don't always have, not everybody have the privilege to, um, or the opportunity at that moment to you know, to not ignore it, but maybe keep a journal and just kind of write it down somewhere, you know, in store so that you can revisit at another time. Or if you're ready to kind of jump all in, go ahead, right? Kind of like Joe, I think she's been playing with the concept of Harry Potter for some time, but it wasn't until she hit rock bottom when she was like, I have to, you know, this is really good for me. Uh, and if anything at all, uh, it allows me to, you know, create this world where, um, you know, where, where I can explore the story of a boy who's, you know, who's just down in his luck as well. And this is how I want to see him um, succeed. Isn't that beautiful, you guys? So don't ignore it. It's number one um, per JK Rowling. So number two, the thing that I noticed that she did, and this is so beautiful, is that you lean into working with people you trust. 
And so I think this is so cool because originally when Joe was introduced to the idea of sharing the series into the motion picture franchise that we now all know, of course, and um, she was hesitant. She was unsure because she was like, well, I don't know what it's going to look like. You know, will they stay true to the story? And will they stay true to the plot line? Will they represent Harry in the right way? Will they represent the story in the right way? Will they butcher it? Will this kind of fail? And will that affect, you know, the book series? All of these questions went through our, her head. And I know now because we, we've seen the success of the movie, uh, of the movie franchise, we're like, well, of course it's a yes. But think about it, right? Like she didn't see any of this. We didn't know that this is going to be a success. At that point, a lot of things were revolutionary, right? A lot of things were new. Some of the uh, CGI's were new. A lot of things were new. So she didn't know whether it was going to work or not, or whether her book is going to be good enough for the for the filmmaking industry, right? So there's a lot of questions, and she doubted a lot of things. Maybe even doubted herself, but. What she did write was that she she learned to find people who she trusted, right? And so she worked with the people who are in the films. She worked with the scripts. She worked on all of these things. And she made sure that she developed a healthy and beautiful relationship with people who are in charge of taking care of her baby, right? Essentially her baby and making her baby a live action reality. And so finding people you trust is almost more important than finding tools, techniques, concepts that work for you to begin with. Because if you want to build and create something beautiful, especially if you have all of these doubts happening in your head, it's key to invest in people. And I talk about this a lot specifically because I'm here really to serve small giants and to share their stories and to find ways so that they can get the recognition that they deserve so that they can work and live in a way that is fulfilling and enriched for them. And to do that, I have to find ways to essentially create, um, you know, create things that make sense, right, for them. And I don't always, I got to share with you, I don't always have all of the technical things figured out, but I always, always start with investing uh, in people first, right? Investing in things, you know, because things can fail you, they can, they can fall out in the, uh, throughout the, the process, whatever it is, maybe even, you know, all these programs and courses that you take, they can still fail you. But if you believe in the, in the people that you learn from, that you listen to, that's that's so so crucial because they will take you and with you together with you they will support you in your evolution right so you want to have uh, an ability to invest in things that itself can evolve if that makes sense right so uh, lean into working with people you trust whether that's your clients customers boss whatever it is if you don't trust them it's hard. It would be very, very hard. That's another time I'll share with you another episode for uh, for on that particular topic. But that's the second thing that I uh, observe and have studied and tested and have um, proven again and again is absolutely worth more than the actual monetary, um, you know, figure investment that you're doing or how long you're spending on certain things. Invest in people that you trust. Okay, number three. 
be open to outlets and forms that are traditionally separate from what you originally had in mind. I think this is so cool because, um, you know, when we start something, uh, whether that's a new business, a new job, right, a new project at home, a lot of times we're kind of, you know, we're, we have a particular vision or visual of how they should look like. And we're going, oh, it's going to be like this. It's going to be this many hour a week. It's going to look like this. It's going to be on that platform. It's going to be. And what is very interesting, though, is that very few times, and I've known this from the students that I teach and also different businesses of different sizes of different stages that, um, that I work with over the course of the years, it is never usually what you had in mind originally, right? And so with the case of Joe, she was open to sequels of the movies. She was open to prequels. Um, she was open to Wizarding Worlds, right, that uh, Universal had created. She was even open to theater plays and starting a company, Pottermore, to expand on the idea in this world. And so being kind of, granular and just kind of going, okay, you know what? As long as the story lives on, the platform matters a lot less, right? And I think this is something that I want to encourage everyone listening who's like, oh, you know, people keep telling me that I have to be on X and I have to be on Y and I have to be on Z. You know, whenever you hear anyone saying that you quote unquote have to, you know, maybe pause a second and say, is this for me, right? Is this for me? Because everyone's lives are so different. Your schedule's so different. Your season of life is so different. So why not claim ownership of your life? Why not claim ownership of the ability to evolve throughout? And that's exactly what Joe did. She embraces of course she's still kind of she still looks through it in a thoughtful way whether it fits with uh, her story right of course of course so I'm not saying just embrace everything and take on everything but I'm saying that if originally you thought that you know Instagram is your thing or if you thought that writing is your thing you might discover that actually because you're doing it in a certain way, because you continue to do it and show up to serve that, Hey, you know what? This other thing actually, um, is a better fit because this allows me to maybe get more freedom, maybe have one extra hour a day to do X, Y, Z. So, uh, don't get married to the tools, right? Don't get married to the platforms and the techniques, things that are inanimate, but get married to your concept and its evolution. So you see the similarity between number two when I say, okay, lean into the work um, and work with people you trust, whether you're, that's your clients, your boss, uh, you know, people around you, your friends, your colleagues, your people you collaborate with, always lean into the people, right? And, um, and rather not so much on the inanimate objects because inanimate objects, they can fail you. But if there are people you trust behind it, they can really transform that challenge, that obstacle into something that is really, really surprising and take you over the hump and take them and their project over the hump. 
uh, b without you ever realizing that they could, right? So you want to lean on organic and animate and, um, you know, people and almost the lives behind the tools, right? And that's the same thing here with number three. So don't get married to the, um, the, the outlets, the platforms, the ways that you're doing it, but get married to um, and, and engage with the concept and the story that you're trying to share and the message that you're trying to share because that's the most important thing, right? Number four, what else is, um, is uh, J.K. Rowling doing? She, uh, this is something that I noticed, is that she listened to those who believe in her, <laughs> right? She listened to those who believe in her rather than those who do not believe in her. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, there were times and moments when she got rejected by dozens of publishing houses, which is so demoralizing, right? You've created something beautiful. You've created this amazing story. And then they're like, nope, nope, nope. Like letter after letter after letter. Uh, it's, it's a no. And so you can very easily say, well, maybe it is a no. Maybe what I have isn't good enough. So rather though than saying, okay, you know what? It sucks. You know, my concept and my beliefs, it sucks. She says, I believe in this. I believe in what I'm working on and I'm going to find those who also believe in it. So when she found the publishing company who believe in her, that's when a lot of things start to unravel, right? Isn't that beautiful? So that's the case as well with her fan requests, right? Things that they would enjoy. The reason why she created Pottermore is because she continues to listen to people who are actually her audience. As I always say on this podcast, you don't need everyone. You just need the right people. And you don't want to listen to small voices who make big decisions in your life. You want to listen to big voices who make important decisions, right? And, and big decisions in your life. So you have to be mindful and thoughtful about who you listen to whether it's somebody who's actually going to uh, advocate you or whether it's something who, uh, someone who actually believes in you or somebody who's not and who's just going to corrode and eat your kind of mental capability to move forward. So be very, very mindful and thoughtful about listening and who you listen to because you need to listen to those who believe in you and you need to listen to those who you also believe in. So you want to find like-minded people for sure. And uh, this is so amazing, of course. Number five is for her, obviously, she embraced the rejections. She embraced, um, you know, any, any form of doubt, whether that's imposter syndrome or just self-doubt or work doubt, whatever it is, she embraced it. So I, as I mentioned, she was still rejected after her commercial success, after years into the Harry Potter series, after the series um, finished, there was still some pushback, right, from the literary literary community that, her um, her new project is not going to launch in the same way or launch at all. So it's very interesting that, as I mentioned, it's worth reminding that rejection comes at all stages. There will always be people who believe in you and there will always be people who don't believe in you. And what we want to do is find those who believe in you because that's where your work can flourish. It can evolve and it can take on a life of its own. So if you embrace rejection and imposter syndrome and you don't really focus on trying to get rid of it, 
because I personally don't believe that you need to get rid of it. Um, embrace it as a as something they can launch you forward is is really something that I am passionate about because once you are able to do that, you'll find that it is just the most beautiful and amazing experience. And you, you'll you find that you won't need to necessarily pursue happiness. You, uh, you experience happiness of the pursuit. So all of these things and more, you guys, I hope that you are all the more enriched and you find little gems here and there that you wanted to apply to your life. I encourage you to do so because this is for you. And it's so important for me to share this with you because our mission here at the Good Grow Great podcast is to share the stories of those small giants, people who are often overlooked, people who uh, did not get the start that they want, right? And really, really give them the recognition that they deserve, uh, often in a new light, right? And so this is for you. Take it, deconstruct it, apply it, improve it, right? Uh, Because this is my gift to you everything and more. We're going to be sharing some more of these amazing, amazing topics. So uh, be sure to hit that follow, add, save, collect, download, and subscribe button because all of this is for you, you guys. Until next time, I'm Talia Toha, and this is the Good Girl Great Podcast. I'll see you then.